Section 9 of The Flower Patch Among the Hills. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Annie Hill. Flower Patch Among the Hills by Flora Clickman. Section 9. I had just got settled to work on the missing and now discovered letter when Abigail tapped and entered. "'I'm sorry to trouble you, ma'am, but could you spare me one of those missionary books?' pointing to a shelf containing a selection of the annual reports of religious and philanthropic societies. Now for some time past I had been trying to interest Abigail, who is a church member, in foreign missions. I'd rather prided myself that I had done it tactfully, not forcing it upon her, but just arousing her interest by taking her to attractive meetings. I found that she had even gone to one on her own account. Hence I was naturally pleased to find that she was anxious to follow up the subject. But as I did not consider an ordinary official report, with its small print and balance sheets and monotonous list of subscribers, the type of literature best calculated to enthuse the novice, I reached down a small volume of bright stories of girl life in India, well illustrated and prettily got up. Here is just the very thing, I said. But she took it reluctantly, dubiously, turning it about and looking it over in a dissatisfied manner. No, she said. It's one like that I want. Pointing to a solid tome issued by one of the most revered of our missionary societies. Can I have that one? Certainly, I acquiesced, though it was an out of date report, and I knew the other book would have suited her better. Yes, that's just right, she said cheerfully, as I handed it to her. That other'd be too thin. It's to go under the back leg of the side table in the kitchen where the stone floor's broken. I've used one like this regular since last summer, but it's getting shabby. I thought a new one would smarten us up a bit. I remember on one occasion being at a missionary meeting for young people, at which there was a remarkably fine speaker from the foreign mission field. He said that if any felt they had a call to take part in the work in any way, he would be pleased to see them at the close. When the meeting was over, a small boy approached the platform. "'Please, can I speak to you, sir?' "'Certainly, my lad,' said the speaker, shaking him warmly by the hand. "'Now what is it? You can talk quite frankly to me.' "'Well, I wondered if, er... "'Have no hesitation, my boy, in asking me anything you'd like. "'Well, do you happen to have any foreign postage stamps?' Just as I had settled down again, somewhat chastened to my much-neglected work, there was a knock at the door, and the lady of the manor was shown in. "'I see you're busy,' she began, "'but I won't keep you a moment. I only want to ask you if you're expecting Miss Virginia and her sister this afternoon.' "'No? Oh, I'm sorry. I did hope they were coming. But anyhow, whoever it is, do you think they would help tomorrow at the sale of work? Two visitors I was expecting have failed me, and I've no one possible for the picture postcards or the pinafores. They needn't know anything about it, you know, 
it only wants someone who can reckon up that seven penny cards comes to sevenpence and that's one and ninepence change out of a half a crown and that sort of thing now do you think your friends would help but i've no friends coming i said haven't you why i, I quite understood i was calling on miss primkins just now she's jam and jelly you know and i asked her if she couldn't put it on the pinafores it would look quite decorative and in this way i should save a stall even then we shall be very crowded mrs blake had just been in to say she couldn't spare miss primkins the duck she had ordered because you had visitors arriving to-day and would want a pair for sunday oh well i'm not having visitors neither am i having the ducks but i'll come down myself to-morrow if that's any help and keep one eye on the pinafores and one on the picture postcards and i think my mental arithmetic will be just right for the change you give but don't you remember you've already promised to look after the bookstall you sent us that big box of books months ago with some of your own books in which i want you to autograph by the way so i was going to ask you if at the same time you'd manage the jumble corner the two things would go very well together i agreed with her heartily oh you know i don't mean anything like that she added hastily i only meant that you could more easily turn from selling lovely books to dispose one of your own done with but still charming coats and skirts for instance than if you had to cut up for the refreshment stall and return with buttery fingers to respond to the rush there will be for your autograph add the postcards to the books i said trying to be equally amiable and abigail will gladly run the jumble corner she will be smarter at it than you or i abigail appeared as soon as her ladyship had gone the farmeress who supplied us with milk was waiting in the kitchen to know if i wanted extra milk morning and evening in future on account of company as if so she would save it specially she was experiencing a shortage of milk hussy having run dry and clover for some unknown reason that i hadn't time to listen to not doing her lactic duty as befitted her station in life emphatically i said that i should not want any extra milk and a few other things i resumed my work ten minutes later there was yet another interruption this time it was the owner of the buff orpingtons who had arrived at the back door to inquire if i was wanting any eggs she'd brought eight with her and expected another one tonight, which she'd send up her hens had just started laying again etc i fairly blessed the individual who had first set going the fable that i was expecting visitors i told abigail that it was a matter of perfect indifference to me whether all the fowls in the district did or did not accommodatingly lay nine or even ten eggs for my especial benefit but what did matter to me was whether i could or could not get nine or even ten minutes of uninterrupted peace in order to finish my letters before the postman arrived he always calls obligingly at five o'clock for my afternoon mail and i requested that she would kindly take in any and everything that came during the next hour 
so long as it didn't need paying for. Only for pity's sake would she cease opening that door and seeking advice on the subject. After that I was left severely alone. From time to time I heard voices in the rear. There was one very loud series of bumps and bangs. I concluded it was the missionary report being introduced to the table. But I worked on and had just sealed up my last budget of proofs and addressed it to the printers when the postman appeared. I heaved a sigh at the amount of stuff he carried away. The shower had passed over without even damping the blossoms. I would have some tea and then start watering. The postman was speaking to someone at the gate. No, it wasn't Abigail. I heard him say, Yes, this is Rosemary Cottage. I was gathering up my papers as footsteps dragged themselves along the path. Dragged is the only word for it, and before I had time to step outside to see who was there, two female forms, one ample and one spare, made for the door opening into the living room, precipitated themselves into the room and sank into the nearest chairs, in the last stages of panting exhaustion while the ample one, in a coat and skirt of a large black-and-white plaid, buttoned and piped with cherise, exclaimed, At last! Well, of all the out-of-the-way forsaken places! We've been trampling nearly all day, trying to get here from that wretched station. We must have walked miles, miles, up and down hill. Only it was all uphill, we found ourselves in woods with no possibility of ever getting out again. We got into lanes that ended nowhere, and when we got there, it was the wrong place. We tried to take a shortcut across some fields and got stuck in a bog. We met a flock of wild cows, and the top of that hedge positively ran into me like needles. When we did chance to find a house hoping it was yours, it never was. The people always told us to go on and ask for the directions at the next house we came to. But each time there wasn't another house. Why ever didn't we take that fly at the station? But there, he could never have driven us all over the huge stone walls we've had to climb. We've been walking for hours on end. Hours, haven't we, dear? dear nodded feebly she was leaning back in the easy chair with closed eyes her hat of a remarkable shape was trimmed with what looked like a kitchen flue brush standing straight upright at the back at least it would have been upright if her hat hadn't shifted askew at the moment the flue brush was inclining towards her left ear her costume was mustard color with spasms of black she must have been very pleased with it when she bought it. Otherwise, she could never have induced herself to get inside it. I soon found that the ample one did not require any reply other than the feeble nod, as it would have impeded her eloquence. She went on. I think, if you don't mind, we won't go upstairs till we've had some tea. We're absolutely prostrate, aren't we, dear? The flue brush dipped slightly. "'Could we have some tea at once?' "'Certainly,' I said with alacrity. "'I had already decided that tea was the only possible way 
to relieve the strain of the situation, and I rang the bell. Abigail, after one comprehensive glance at the callers, fetched my very best afternoon tea-cloth, which she displayed on the table to the utmost advantage, that not an Irish inlet or a bit of lace border should be lost on the visitors. When she does not approve of any callers, or does not consider them quite in keeping with the family traditions, she invariably makes a terrific splash in front of them, getting out the special silver and the finest china, and serving with an air of withering superiority, as though she said, Behold, this is how we live every day, very different from what you've been accustomed to. The tiresomeness of it is that when intimate friends call who really matter, the handmaiden treats the tea-table most casually. They evidently don't count if they are known to be above reproach. From the look she gave the strangers, I knew we should have it all, and we did. She was wonderfully quick in getting both the tea and her smartest cap and apron. She put as much silver as she could squeeze on the table. She got out some eggshell china plates for the bread and butter, and the old cut glass for the preserves. She opened new jars of plum, black currant, strawberry, and raspberry jam. She turned out preserved ginger into a blue Chinese bowl. She put lemon curd into a quaint brown dish and honey in a luster saucer. She hunted out all the cake we possessed and opened a tin of apricots. She smashed up sardines with Worcester sauce and heaped it on pale lettuce leaves. And she garnished some thin slices of ham, most artistically with lemon and cucumber and flowering sprigs of rosemary. All this while the ample one was explaining to me how marvelously things were managed in London. The miles you could ride in a motor bus for twopence, the cleanliness and speed and safety of the tube, the ever-recurring convenience of a half-penny in a tram-car, and the luxury of a taxi, and then more moans to think of the miles they had covered without meeting either motor-bus, tube, tram-car, or taxi. When the table seemed on the very verge of breaking down with its abundance, and they had just drawn up their chairs, Abigail asked in clear tones that the visitors were bound to hear. "'Would you wish me to bring in the cold duck, madam?' "'Madam indicates company. "'Ma'am is ordinary every day. "'I wasn't exactly anxious to bestow my tomorrow's dinner on the strangers, "'for I had reckoned to make the duck do for twice. "'But, of course, under the circumstances, I was bound to ask sweetly. "'Oh, uh, would you care for a little roast duck? "'It's cold,' I added.' by way of disqualifying the joint a little in their eyes. Fortunately, they preferred ham, but it was satisfactory that at least they knew we had roast duck in the larder. After sitting up and taking a little nourishment, the wilted ones revived perceptibly, and even began to be gracious. I am afraid I am not very fond of the graciousness of that type of woman. She does get it so mixed up with patronage. But I buoyed myself up with the thought that perchance I was entertaining angels unawares, though they didn't look like it. The ample one continued to be voluble, 
I did not interrupt her with questions, because I find it is usually as well to let a situation explain itself. It usually does in time. Besides, I didn't quite know what to say. I couldn't exactly ask, Who are you? Where have you come from? And why have you singled me out for this particular visitation? Yet the longer I waited, the more awkward it became to open inquiries. You have a very well-trained maid, I see, the large plaid continued. That is to say, for the country, with emphasis, to show me that there were obvious deficiencies. Only she was willing to make allowances for them. It's the first thing I always notice in a house. We are used to such excellent service, most excellent service, aren't we, dear? Dear agreed, but not very heartily. She seemed to ponder for a moment before she said her customary, Yes, that is one reason why I always hesitate about leaving home. How I wished she'd hesitated a little longer. The sun was getting behind the fir trees, and I did so want to start watering. You have some garden, I see, but it wants planning, doesn't it? I wish you could see ours at home. It would give you some ideas. We have a man in occasionally, but we always superintend him ourselves. I'll tell you how we have it arranged. In the center is a square lawn, and in the middle of this we have a round bed with scarlet geraniums in the center, and a ring of calceolarias round them. And then outside that, at the edge of the bed, you understand, all around, you know, we have lobelias, little blue flowers, you know. You've no idea how bright and effective it is. And then in the border, all round the garden by the fences, we have standard roses about a couple of yards apart, and a row of scarlet geraniums. It's so bright, and doesn't cost so much when you buy them by the dozen. Your ceiling is very low, isn't it? Still, for a cottage... It isn't a bad-sized room, and I see you've made the best of it with your little bits of things put about. I do wish you could have heard the charming, indulgent, condescension with which she said your little bits of things. Though I don't think I've ever seen yellow walls before very quaint, of course, but, er, rather peculiar, don't you think so, dear? Dear said she did but I don't know why, seeing that she was carrying about more yellow on her mustard person than I had in the whole of the house. I wish you could see our lovely dining room at home, the plaid continued. I murmured in articulations, as there was a pause where I was evidently intended to say something. It has a dark red paper on the wall. We have just furnished it with fumed oak. I think fumed oak is so artistic. We have a most handsome sideboard that will only just stand across one end of the room. I don't mind telling you that it cost fifty pounds originally, but as the people to whom it belonged were a little unfortunate, we got it... Well, we didn't give quite that much for it, uh, but you'd never know. It was just as good as new, and we have aspidistras and a beautiful palm in copper flower-pots, really exquisite works of heart they are, and they go so well with the fumed oak, don't they, dear? By the time I had been taken over their beautiful drawing-room, we had finished tea, happily, for I already saw 
a beautiful best bedroom suite looming ahead. Having made a most excellent, not to say solid meal, the voluble one shoved her chair back and said, "'I feel all the better for that cup of tea. Now I think if you'll show us the way we'll go upstairs and have a good wash, and make ourselves presentable, not that you dress much for dinner, I suppose.' I conclude I, too, was all the better for my cup of tea, for I felt myself warming to the work, and I led the way washed standwards most cordially. I didn't take them out into the hall to the more modern staircase. I opened the door in the corner of the room and revealed the steep stone stairs, and you should have heard their gurgles and squeals. Oh, dearest, do look! Isn't it primitive? "'And do you go up and down this every day?' "'Oh, no,' I couldn't help replying. "'We only use this when visitors are here. "'On ordinary occasions, we get in and out of the bedroom windows "'and hop down the honeysuckle.' "'She drew herself up reprimandingly. "'She evidently wished me to understand that, "'though she was willing to treat me as an equal "'so long as I behaved myself,' She couldn't allow any undue familiarity on my part. I don't suppose you would see anything unusual in such an approach to the upper stories, having been used to it all your life, she said distantly, but accustomed as we are to our magnificent staircase at home. Wide enough to drive up a carriage and pair, isn't it, dear? Er, nearly. Dear was the more truthful of the two, I fancy. "'and our beautiful pile carpet in rich reds and blues "'and the thickest of stair pads underneath, "'till you would think you were walking on real turkey carpet. "'This naturally strikes us as, how shall I put it, "'so as not to hurt your feelings, as, uh, as very humorous, you know?' "'I quite understand,' I said, as we entered my bedroom. "'She walked straight over to the window and looked out. "'Not a house to be seen anywhere,' she exclaimed dismally. "'Whichever way you look, nothing in sight but those everlasting tree-covered hills.' "'As she seemed inclined for a lengthy soliloquy, "'I poured out some water and indicated the soap-dish as politely as I knew how "'to dear, who had taken off her hat and coat, "'and seemed almost grateful for my attentions.' I noticed that Abigail had been up and had adorned the towel-horse with my finest damask towels with embroidered ends, and had got out a rare and treasured bedspread made entirely of lace that had just been sent to me as a present from Venice, and had put it over the bed in place of the old-world patchwork quilt that I infinitely prefer in the cottage. It was so much more in keeping with the surroundings." The ample one turned with a sigh from the depressing outlook that was so deficient in motor-buses and half-penny car-rides and taxis and houses, and said, evidently striving to make the best of a bad job, "'At any rate, you've tried to make it look as nice as you can inside. Do you know I rather like that bedspread, as though conveying a real favour on the article in question?' It reminds me of an exquisite bedspread we have at home, something like it. Only ours is linen, with shamrocks on it in solid embroidery. And she flung down her coat and other impedimenta on the top of the lace in a way that made me tremble for its safety. 
"'It's something like ours, don't you think so, dear?' Dear had her face in the soft, delicious lather of the rainwater and didn't reply. "'But!' At this point, transformation came over the black and white plaid. I've only just noticed it. This is a double bed. Look, dear, it's a double bed. And I almost distinctly said in my letter it was imperative that we have two single beds. The same room would do. I said no need to go to the expense of two rooms, but on no account a double bed. As I can't possibly rest unless I have the bed to myself. I'm a very light sleeper, whereas my friend sleeps rather heavily, not to say, er, sonorously. Uh, don't you, dear? I must simply insist that you have this bed taken down and two single ones put up in its place. Had I seen the rooms before I engaged them, I shouldn't have taken a place with such a desolate outlook. But as we've had the expense of coming here, I don't mind staying if you undertake to have the beds changed. And they must both be feather beds, too. Now, can you do this? I'm afraid I can't, I said. But if there can be no ifs, I put everything quite clearly in my letter. I've got a copy of it here. I wrote, My dear lady, if you will sit down in that easy chair, we'll make everything still clearer. She was beginning to prance around the room. Dear, unmoved, was having a very thorough wash, so the light sleeper sank into the chair and rummaged in her handbag, presumably for the copy of the letter in question. I tried to speak as lightly and soothingly as possible, for she was fairly bursting with indignation. Now, please understand that I am delighted to give a meal to any wayfarer who, like yourself, arrives hungry and tired at my door i'm glad for them to come in and have a rest and even a wash and a brush up if they want it but when an absolute stranger of whom i know nothing demands my own bed and my feather bed into the bargain then i must protest that feather bed is one of my most cherished possessions but you expected me sitting bolt upright i certainly did not didn't i write and tell you we would arrive today i've neither heard of you nor from you in my life before but this is rosemary cottage it is then you must be miss flabbers with an air of finality i'm sorry but i'm not at this Dear dropped the soap with a sudden splash into the water and looked round in frozen astonishment. The merest wraith of it remained two hours later when Abigail emptied the water. It was a new cake, too. At the name of Flabbers, light came. Miss Flabbers was a gentlewoman in somewhat reduced circumstances who lives in a cottage a good mile and a half away. Presumably, she was going to add to her income by taking in boarders. "'If it's Miss Flabbers whom you are wanting,' I continued, filling up a painful silence, "'her house is called Rose May Cottage. "'I expect you got the names confused in your mind.' "'There! It is all your fault,' said the ample one, turning irritably to her companion. "'You said it was Rose May Cottage when you read the first letter.' "'But I said that was an absurd name, 
and it must be rosemary it was intended for. Country people do write so badly. I do wish, dear, you would be careful to be more accurate if only you had said the right name. I might have been saved all this trouble and expense, because, of course, I shall insist on paying for our tea. She didn't, though. And think how many miles I've walked, and now I suppose I've to do it all again. How I wish I'd listened to that old man at the station and gone with... She paused suddenly and threw up her hands, and then there arose that cry common to all womankind the world over, when they are weary with their pilgrimage, footsore and travel-stained. The cry that must have rent the air in the olden days when Sarai trailed after Abram across the plains of Mamre. Even as it sounds today, from Yokohama to Land's End, "'Where's our luggage?' "'There was a perceptible gasp, and then, "'Yes, where's our luggage?' faintly echoed Dear, "'as she nervously clutched her gloves with feverish haste "'and pinned them on her head, "'and then wildly tried to get her arms into her hat. "'I expect it's reposing peacefully "'in Miss Flabber's best bedroom,' I said reassuringly. At any rate, it isn't here, as I saw signs that they were going to crawl under the bed in search of it. The man would be sure to deliver it there, and Abigail knocked at the door and asked if she could speak to me for a minute. When I got outside, she said, There's a person downstairs wants to see you particular, ma'am, or I wouldn't have disturbed you. Abigail divides all her sex into two classes, persons and ladies, and no one is more careful than she to see that persons don't think more highly of themselves than their social status warrants. I found a pleasant-faced woman who lives in a cottage near Miss Flabbers. Please, ma'am, Miss Flabbers has lost two ladies rather sudden, and I wondered if you'd chance to set eyes on them. "'Miss Flabbers is that worried as never was. "'Expected him by the eleven train. "'And I misdoubt me if the cutlets won't be a bit heavy by now. "'Though she's had him over a saucepan of hot water ever since. "'She's so upset she don't know what to do. "'Yet she can't go out to look for him in case they turns up meanwhile. "'I thought it'd just be neighborly if I went out for her and hunted around.' I know they come by that train, for I see to myself at the station. Puffet ladies you'd have took em for, only they wouldn't have a fly. They're not friends, no, nor boarders. No, she wouldn't think of having boarders, so reserved as she is. They're what's called paying guests. I know because my son's got a friend in the Hargis office, and he told him about an advertisement she put in. "'Only you wouldn't have known it was her, being only X, Y, Z on it. "'But the people at the Hargis knew, as the X, Y, Z meant her, "'though how they should know puzzles me. "'And they sent on the letters to her, but she's kept it very private. "'No one knew they was coming, so I wouldn't dream of mentioning X, Y, Z to a soul. "'I've tracked them up here.' "'Everybody all over the common and even up to the crag farm has a seed them. "'They've scoured the country for miles round. 
you'd be sure to recognize them once you'd saw them. I should think so. E'en the slight harebell raised its head and stared after them whenever they passed it that afternoon, I'm certain. By dint of shouting above her talking, I managed to get her to hear that I had them safe and sound, and should be everlastingly grateful if she would take them off my hands and place them in the safekeeping of Miss Flabbers. Then I fetched them down and introduced the neighborly soul, who, you could see, felt elated at the distinction of being the one to take such costumes in tow. "'Better go out of the back door,' I said, "'and up the garden to the top gate. It will save you a few steps.' And then the ample one turned and said icily, "'I suppose we must thank you for what you have done, "'but I do think you should have told us sooner who you were. "'Yet I hadn't told them even then.' "'It was as they were going out of the back door "'that Dear amazed us by falling unexpectedly to her knees "'and affectionately clasping a dark object "'that I had not seen in the dim recess of the lobby. "'Here's our trunks!' she shrieked hysterically. And then both those women glared things unspeakable at me. They knew now what they had only suspected before, that I was a deeply dyed villainess with designs on them and their property. "'What's this? Why wasn't I told about it?' I inquired of Abigail, who naturally was not missing a word. "'Old Bob brought them while you were busy. "'He said they were for here, so of course I took them in, madam, "'as you said you were not to be disturbed, with an injured sniff, "'and I've had no opportunity to tell you since.' "'The two, true to the instincts of their sex, "'had promptly seated themselves on the trunks, "'and I feared they had no intention of budging "'unless the trunks went with them. "'But the neighborly person was anxious to be on the move.' She wanted the kudos of walking through the village with them in the broad daylight. So she said, They'll be all right. Ma husband'll come around for them as soon as we get back. Now don't you worry the least little bit. Thus they were got off at last. Perfect ladies, I said to myself as I seized the brown pitcher and the water can and went out to water the spring. End of section nine.